We'll start with a story. Uh, Dirk Williams died the 16th of May, 1569. He was born in the Netherlands and was rebaptized Anabaptist, which upset uh, those that practiced infant baptism at the time by both Catholics and established Protestants in the Netherlands. And the action and his continued devotion to his new faith and the baptism of several other people in his home led to his condemnation by the Roman Catholic Church in the Netherlands and subsequent, su- subsequent arrest in 1569. So Dirk Willems went to prison for this, and then he escaped, and he dropped a, a rope tied together with a bunch of cloths outside the prison walls onto a moat to make his escape. And because he was kind of light from prison rations, he was able to navigate the frozen waters. And the guard that saw him took off after him. Evidently, he wasn't on prison rations because he fell through the ice. And he started to yell for Dirk, help, help, help. And you know what Dirk did? He turned around, went back, and saved the guard's life. Pulled him out. And then he was captured and sentenced to burn at the stake in 1569. Ordered to burn at the stake. And as he burned at the stake, they said that there was a, a, a easterly wind that day that kept the flames from consuming him. So his torture was even longer than expected. And they said a nearby village could hear Dirk saying these words, words like these, Oh Lord, my God, over 70 times that day. 70 times, praising God. Now, that's a pretty extreme story. I would hope that we don't ever face anything like that, that any of us have to face things like that. But let's just sit with this for a second, okay? His persecutor was chasing him. He falls through the ice. Dirk could have been a free man. All he had to do was keep going, right? So he felt like, what I've done is... It it doesn't deserve prison anyway. I'm out of here. And he could have been a free man. But he turns around and saves the guy's life. It was his immediate response. The guy's falling through the ice. It was his immediate response. He didn't have time to look at his WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? He just did it. This is what he did. Even though he wouldn't be a free man, his actions, catch this, were from a worry-free man. Someone that wasn't driven by worry or fear, but by love. Like, why in the world would he make that choice? I think it's because he'd already been making that choice over and over and over and over and over again. See, life is hard. But when we practice surrendering to the love of God in all situations, we can learn the worry-free life Jesus invites us into. So how do we become that kind of person that accepts that kind of invitation? So how do we get from, like, uh, getting all bent out of shape or worried when somebody posts something on Facebook to being burned at the stake and praising God? Like, how do we get from uh, getting so upset or worried we're running behind and somebody's driving the speed limit, for goodness sakes, (laughs) to being burned at the stake? How do we get from being so upset or worried when something doesn't go our way to turning back and saving the very person that's going to lead to our life ending? How do we do that? 
Again, I hope we don't ever have to face that, but you see what I'm saying, right? We're wrapping up this series called Treasures as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus once said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Each of us has treasures. They shape us, they influence us, everything of how we live our lives. And Jesus is challenging us to to think carefully about your priorities, about the things that guide your life. Is our treasure in our trust in God, in his kingdom, or is it something altogether? Uh, For the last couple weeks, we've been diving into this section on worry, uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Uh, Brian started off, he shared some really good news about this passage. He said, when we believe Jesus and trust that God always has enough to graciously care for us, we are set free to love and to serve others with a generous heart. Last week, Leslie reminded us that because God is always good, uh, because God is always with us and at work, we can let go of worry and surrender to his love and care. And we're going to look at this passage one more time today. Here it is. It's kind of long. Hang with me. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seeds or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? (laughs) That's a good line. Jesus was pretty good at some good lines, wasn't he? And why do you worry about your clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin clothes. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Or where are we going to? What are we going to wear? Gentiles long for these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, there are, uh, some, there's some debate about how serious of worry Jesus is actually talking about here. We think it's a pretty significant worry. I would say all worries matter, but we think what he's actually getting at is a pretty significant worry. The clothes for them were essential. This wasn't like worry about what you're going to wear today because you have 7,000 things in your wardrobe. This was essential for survival for them. Their food was daily. It wasn't like, what am I going to eat? Oh my gosh, I don't like these 7,000 things I have in my cabinet. Maybe we should order pizza. It wasn't that. It was like, they get food daily. It's what they had to survive. He's not calling them to be emotionally dumb. He's not telling them to walk around like zombies. Like Jesus had all kinds of emotions. He's not calling them to be apathetic and just say, hey, don't worry about it like the Fonz. That's how old I am. Some of you guys don't know. (laughs) Jesus is going after a really deep fear inside of us. Life. Life. He's going after that kind of worry or maybe the worry about death because I think that's how it gets dangled in front of us a lot of times. Hebrews talks about the fear of death and how it controls us. It says, therefore, since the children 
share in flesh and blood, he also shared the same things in the same way. He did this to destroy the one who holds the power of death, the devil, by dying. And he set free those who were held in slavery uh, their entire lives by their fear of what? Death. And I think this worry about life, if you boil it all down, reverse engineer it, it all comes back. All of our concerns come back to that. We named some concerns a few weeks ago, some like retirement and sickness in the future and the unrest of the culture and what things are going to look like tomorrow. But when we practice surrendering to the love of God in all situations, we learn the worry-free life that Jesus invites us into. So how do we become the kind of person who embraces this invitation of the worry-free life where our natural reaction to life isn't the fear of death or the worry about our lives in that way, but it's a worry-free response, not motivated by worry. As a matter of fact, worry-free life is motivated by love. It's the perfect love that casts out fear, right? So here's what I think we do. The first thing is we have to be real about our life. I'm going to say it like this. Notice the name that life is hard. Everybody say life is hard. It is hard, isn't it? Not like all the time, you know, walking around, oh, that's hard. But life's hard. Like it gets hard sometimes. So to overcome, to overcome worry that comes with the fear of death, doesn't, it means that we, don't, we can't ignore our realities of life. It's okay to admit it. I think there's this misconsumption when we're followers of Jesus that we just need to be happy all the time. Oh, yeah, everything's good. Yeah. It's weird. It's freaky when you come across something like, I don't think I want what they got. God is good, yes, all the time, yes, but there's something, uh, there's always something that we can see, perspective, we talk about perspective all the time, we see this, we can be grateful for that, there's always something good to see, yes, we've been restored back to God, yes, we are good, our spiritual being is reunited and we are okay, but we still live in the brokenness, not everything is fully restored, which means things get difficult. Sometimes more difficult than others, but life is hard. And it's good to name that and to understand that. Jesus says in verse 34, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We're going to have trouble. He also says in John 16, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus never says, come follow me and life will all be grand. He says, seek me, seek your kingdom. I'll give you these things. I'll provide for you in this way. But life gets hard and we just have to own that. We have to be real with that. And one of the real, most important reasons to name that life is hard is so we can allow God to meet us in reality. That's why, because that's where God meets us. Not in our past, not in our, just our hopes or dreams or desires. He meets us in the moment of our life. And when we say reality, we're not just talking about the things in the world of how things are. But more importantly, we're actually talking about the internal reality of our hearts. Like the things that are real. We're talking about where we really are. What we're really thinking. What's really going on. Not pretending. Not denying. Jesus, all the time, he would help people. And he would meet them right where they really were. He would help them stop hiding. Posing. Playing games. He'd get right down to the issue. And when he'd get down to the issue, that's when his reality and your reality can meet together. That's where he meets us. 
I love this quote from Larry Crabb. He says, God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be or wish we were. My job is to pay attention to where I am. Man, that's hard to do sometimes. <laughs> pay attention to where you are. What's going on inside of you? Naming that reality. And when I enter my reality, he brings his reality, his truth into mine. Truth is a two-way street. And when I avoid my truth, when we avoid it, I nod politely and I might even smile and say amen when I hear his, but not much happens. God's truth does not set free a pretending or hiding heart. Can't do it. How do we become that kind of person? We got to name reality. And we have to let God meet us in reality. Free from worry is in reality. Listen, we can trust God to meet us there. We can. He's not about shame. He's not about any of those things. It's not guilt. It's just this kindness that leads us to repentance. It's this kindness and his goodness. Look in verse 26. It says, look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seeds or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? We can trust him. We can be real with him. We can name reality and let him meet us right in our reality. And then, then, surrender to God's love because he is good. Everybody say he is good. He is good. He's good. We say that a lot. Yes. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying he's good. Just trust him. Jesus says, listen, he's your provider. God's going to provide what you need. Just seek first his kingdom and him, and then the rest of this stuff will fall. And we might say it. We said it a second ago. God's good. When we surrender to his love, then we actually live as if we believe that it's true. Because a lot of times I think we might say one thing like God is good, but we might actually live an entirely different way. And I want to remind you something that's so important. Your view of God, who he is, matters so much. It's so important of how you see God. God is good. So for instance, when you face something in your life, something specific, maybe you lose a loved one or you develop some sort of terrible illness, when you go through trauma like this, your view of God will form how you actually deal with trauma in difficult situations. So if you think God caused the trauma, like there's some lesson that he's wanting to teach you, so much so that he's going to put this really bad thing in your life, so terrible, to, for you to understand, then you're left with the question, well, why? And then if you don't get an answer, now you're wondering, oh my gosh, what kind of bad things he going to do next to get my attention? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it matters. God is good. He doesn't create evil. He, he can use evil. Evil exists in the world. God's going to walk through you with it. He doesn't give it to us. He just is with us. It's kind of the point of Christmas, right? God came to be with us. He doesn't need to create evil to bring it out. There's a lot of evil in the world, isn't there? There's so much evil. He doesn't need to sit around and think, what kind of bad thing I can do to Brian to get his attention on what I need? 
He's not going to do it. If we believe that God looks like Jesus, Jesus is not going to inflict harm on you for some reason. We have to believe and see that God is good so that we can actually surrender to his love. Look through the gospels. Does Jesus cause blindness? Hey, come here, guy. Blind. Now I'm going to heal you. No. He heals blind. Does he put demons in people? No. He casts them out. Does he cause death? No. He actually causes resurrection and new life to where he comes. Does he cause sickness? No. He brings wellness. He doesn't create evil. Everywhere he goes, he's restoring and bringing back good things. He's a good father. We know this in Romans that it says, uh, we know that all things work together for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. God doesn't do evil or create evil. He just brings good things out of it. He can take what's meant for evil and bring good. So how we see God is so important. Everybody say, God is good. God is good. So we surrender to his love, which means that we live as if it's true. This is how. We become people who say yes to this worry-free life that Jesus invites us into. Life is hard. But when we practice surrendering to the love of God in all situations, we can learn the worry-free life Jesus invites us into. We name reality that it's hard. We allow God to meet us in that reality. And God is so good, we surrender to his love. And this isn't a one-and-done situation. This isn't how it works. So you've been wondering about this water. It's just here because my voice is bad. No, it's not. It's this one and done situation. That's not how life works. You know how life works? This represents our life and what happens in this broken world. Selfishness, brokenness, stuff that's mixed up, worry. How do we become to live a worry-free life? When we surrender to God's love and we allow his love to flow into us, look what happens. It's continual. If I stop, I stop. If I continue to let his love flow through me, you know what takes place? Look at this. Less worry, less worry, less worry, less worry. To all of a sudden, what's overflowing in my life. I love this. Look at that. It's overflowing onto the piano. There's so much love. I didn't take an account that that was going to float in there. <clears throat> Here's the point. This is what Dirk did. What Dirk did is he allowed God to flow into his life. That when we daily begin to surrender to God's love, what happens is the worry begins to flow out of us to the point that the only thing that flows out of us is the worry-free life of God. And that spills over into others' lives. So when I smile, I don't smile because I should feel guilty. And I know that I smile because I really do believe that God is good. And I really do believe that what's going on inside of me is good things and that he's up to good things in the world. And I begin to see that. So my response to God's love is joy that comes out of me. I get out of bed and I do the next right thing I know to do. I love the person in front of me. Why? Because that is response to God's love. <clears throat> I act and I live as if it's true. It's what Dirk did. And you know what Dirk experienced? He experienced what Jesus promised to all of us. When Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. 
But take heart. I've overcome the world. Is that good news? You know what that means? Will your fear of death or your worry about your life? That death is not what it seems. That Jesus came and overcome the world. Fear not. We have peace. Listen, we have to take our hearts back, guys. Our culture is going to dangle worry in front of us all the time. That's what Jesus is getting at. And he's saying, if you really want a worry-free life, I invite you into it. What Dirk experiences, his fear of death or worry of <clears throat> about his life, he overcame that because of his life, love. Not a life based in fear of it ending, but instead of life because we are forever alive. Today. Death is not what it seems. Now, I'm still learning this in a big way. And here's the good news. I have dozens of opportunities every day to name reality, to let God meet me in it, and to surrender to his love. And they start early often. I start my day a lot of times, like you guys do, in front of the mirror, comb my hair, my clothes. You know what I start thinking? About what other people are going to think about me. Right out of the gate. That's how I start my day. Worrying about what you guys are going to think about me. Worry. That quickly. You know a great way to turn that around? Is I can look in the mirror and I can say, you know what? I'm a much loved child of God. And that matters to me more than what any of you guys think. What anybody thinks. And in that moment, what I'm doing is surrendering to the love of God. Believing what is true and moving about my day. When I get on my news app and I start getting a little anxious about lots of things that are going on and 2024 is coming and I'm like, oh my gosh. You know what I can do? I can pause for a second and remember that God is always present and at work here, there, whatever it is that I'm worrying about. And I can know that he cares about all of it more than I do. And that I can remember my responsibility is to love the next person that I come in contact with. And if I do that, that can change the world. Jesus is saying, what, worrying about anything is never adding anything to your life. That's not going to do any good. So I can go back and surrender to God's love. Yes, am I worrying? Yes, am I concerned about this? Yeah, but what is that really going to do for me? I need to love the next person in front of me. That's what I need to do. That's what will actually change some things. Worry sets in really quickly. So I wonder this week, maybe that looking in the mirror, you have a little mirror time, start your day. That could be a good thing to do. And tell yourself, I'm a much-loved child of God. And just begin to live that way. Maybe even smile at yourself. It's a little weird, but do it. Smile. You're a much-loved child of God. And then move out your day, pushing back worry, leaning in to his love. That casts out all fear and worry. Life's hard, but when we practice surrendering to the love of God <coughs> in all situations, we learn the worry free life that Jesus invites us into. So this week, and maybe today, this might be a good thing to do. If you have some quiet moments, let's do this actually before we go. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads for a second. And I know a lot of us 
have worry in here. So as we breathe in and breathe out for a few moments, I want you to breathe in love. And as you breathe out, filter out worry. So I want you to think about love coming in. And as you exhale, think about worry going out. Let's just do that for a few moments. Just breathe in love. Breathe out worry. Breathe in love. Breathe out worry. And what happens is we begin to take in the love of God. When we begin to breathe out, we will filter the worry and we will breathe out love. Breathe in love. Breathe out love. Surrender to God's love. Live in God's love. Father, thank you this morning for the life that you've given us. And on some hands... Some moments when we worry about it, we're taking it seriously. But what we need to take more seriously is the life that you've invited us to live versus the life that we think we're supposed to live. And help us, God, to be real this week. Help us to name our worries, our fears, whatever it is that we're dealing with, and help us to lean into your goodness, your love. Help us to surrender to it, to name it and to say yes to your worry-free life invitation. God, you're good. We ask this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.